0: The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms.
1: It's Guys Guy
0: Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny. welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week. And today's podcast is presented by PodGo. PodGo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast, Guys Guys Radio, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. We've got a great show for you today. My very, very special guest is worldwide best-selling author Anita Morjani. You might remember her book, Dying to Be Me, My Journey from Cancer to Near Death to True Healing. She was discovered by Dr. Wayne Dyer about 10 years ago. The book's been out for a couple of years. It's just sold millions and millions of copies worldwide and it's brought near-death experience to the tip of everybody's tongue. And also it's about spiritual enfoldment and learning to live a fearless life, and it's so important. She's also got a new book called Sensitive is the New Strong, The Power of Empaths in an Increasingly Harsh World, and I want to get as much time devoted to the interview as I possibly could. So guess what? We're going to start right now.
1: It's Guy's Guy Radio.
0: Guys Guys Radio, as I mentioned, I have a very special guest today. We're gonna to do the whole show with Anita Morjani. She's somebody I really respect and hold in very high regard. She's a New York Times best-selling author of Dying to Be Me, which is her seminal book millions of copies have sold of that. And also, What If This is Heaven? She's a beloved international speaker and has dedicated her life to empowering people's minds and hearts with a story of courage and transformation. She recently published a new book. It's called Sensitive is the New Strong, The Power of Empaths in an Increasingly Harsh World. And so it is. Anita currently lives in LA with her husband Danny and now dedicates her life to empowering the minds and hearts of people with her story of courage and transformation. She travels the world speaking her truth about her journey and experiences of embracing change, the power of healing and the quest to live a full unlimited, and I put this in capital letters, fearless life. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Anita Morjani.
1: Thank you so much, Robert. Thanks for inviting me to be on.
0: My pleasure. Let's start right at the beginning, because the big picture is for the benefit of the members of our audience who are not familiar with your story, let's start with your inciting incident, if you will. It set you on your current path that's led you to write this new book about empaths. You were dying of cancer and pretty much written off by your medical team in the hospital, and they thought you'd die there before you fell into a coma. Tell us what happened.
1: Yes. So basically, I had lymphoma, uh, which had metastasized. uh, And so uh, I had, so it was over a period of four years. And it was not only terminal, but I was at end stage. So this was in 2006, in uh, January of 2006. So by that point, when I was at end stage, I had tumors the size of golf balls, from the base of my skull, all around my neck, under my arms, in my chest, all the way down to my abdomen. And um, my lungs were perpetually filled with fluid that had to be drained and they would continuously, again, get filled up with fluid. Because my lungs were filled with fluid, I couldn't even lie flat. If I would lie flat, I would choke on my own fluid. I couldn't breathe if I would lie flat. So I always had to be propped up. My body had stopped absorbing nutrition um, because of all the tumors and everything. And my digestive system, everything wasn't functioning properly. So my body stopped absorbing nutrition. So I weighed about 85 pounds. My um, muscles had completely deteriorated and I couldn't walk. I didn't have the strength in my own legs to hold up my weight um, I had open skin lesions, and so, that, and then finally, my organs started to shut down one by one, and I went into a coma. And the doctors basically told my family that I was now in the dying process, and I wouldn't even make it through the night. Um, they said I was not coming out of the coma. I probably wouldn't be even be alive tomorrow because my organs were now shutting down. My family were, of course, distraught. They were around me, my physical body. But when I went into the coma at this point, I left my body and I could see everything that was happening. So I was no longer in my body and I was aware of what the doctors were telling my family. I was aware that my family was distraught but I was aware not only of my family that was there in that hospital room, I was aware of what was going on outside of conversations that were taking place about me outside the hospital room. So this was happening to me in a hospital in Hong Kong. I lived in Hong Kong at the time. And at the same time though, my brother who lived in India was getting on a plane to try and reach me before I died. And I was aware of this as well. And I remember even feeling that, oh my gosh, I I can't let my body die until my brother gets here or he's going to be devastated. But the thing is that even though I was aware of all of this going on around me, I was feeling amazing because up until that point, up until the point I'd gone into the coma, I had been in so much pain and so much fear and discomfort. I had been afraid of the cancer. I'd been afraid of the treatments. I'd been afraid of death. I mean, it was just an awful existence I was living up until that point. And now I felt free from all of it. It just felt incredible. I felt light and free and liberated, and it was nothing like I'd ever felt in physical life before
0: let me ask you, in your, in your experience, there was no long tunnel, no white light drawing you through, no idyllic locale that looked like people would expect heaven to look like. Instead, you were greeted by your dad who passed over recently and you had sometimes a strained relationship with him. Why, why do you think he showed up and why do you think your experience was a little bit different than some other people say they have uh, experienced? Do you think everybody has a different experience or what? But let's start first with your dad. Why do you think he showed up?
1: Okay. so. I did have a very um, turbulent relationship with my dad when I was growing up. I never thought he loved me. He was extremely strict. Um, and he was he showed what, what you could today call tough love. I didn't know about tough love then. But um, he, he disciplined by punishment, never rewarded, never really, he was not like a loving person. He worked hard, was at work every day. So um, I did not have a good relationship with him. I was afraid of him. He instilled fear in me. And I truly believe the reason why he showed up was because he wanted to show me that actually underneath all of that, he loved me unconditionally. And what was really interesting is that he was the one that told me on that side that I needed to go back. And he was the one that made me understand that it was all the fear, years of fear, living in fear, my life, a fear of everything, fear of not being good enough, fear of displeasing people, fear of illness, fear of everything that had led me to suppressing myself, my own energy, never being who I am. And that is what actually caused me to become sick. Mm-hmm. And he, his message to me was, you need to go back and live your life fearlessly. I feel the reason it was my dad was because he was the cause of the fear in my life. But he was also the one who released me from that fear.
0: Oh, wow. Well, at first, you were given the choice and you wanted to stay. Did you have any idea what was in store for you? You mentioned that uh, everything, including various past lives were happening at once. It wasn't linear time. It was more everything happening at the same time. Was this confusing, exhilarating? Were you afraid? Were you curious? And was the experience uh, overwhelming or was it welcoming? There was a lot going on in a very short quote unquote period of time.
1: It was very welcoming. It didn't feel overwhelming there. It's very hard to explain it in linear time. Because uh, it's like over here, the way our minds work, we have to put things into a time sequence. But it didn't feel like that there. It felt like I could access all my lives. Uh, they were available for me to access. And so it's like even now, when I'm back in my physical life, it's like my, all my past lives, I have access to all of them. They're not in sequence. Like I used to think... For example, that I used to believe in karma and reincarnation in the conventional sense that what I sow in this life, I'll reap in the next life. The thing is that it's not like that because all those lives give me an accumulated experience. Like this soul has experienced all these multiple lives, and the information from all these lives are available for me to access. Right now, like when we tune in, when we have ESP, when we use our intuition, when our guides talk to us, it's um, we are accessing information from source. And when we speak about, oh, this is deja vu. Oh, um, I've experienced this before. I know this person from another life. It's true. You do know that person from another life. But we're not um, being punished for something we've done in another life. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, this life adds to the pool of experiences for this soul. It's all different experiences for one soul, but it's not like the way we think in linear time that, oh, this life, I'm going to have to reap the, uh, the benefits of what I did before. And so uh, that part of the way I think has changed completely. It's more like this life, I want to live it to the fullest, So I contribute a lot to this soul. This soul wants to live a full life to add to the pool of everything this soul is doing here. And also you asked me another question earlier about the white light and the tunnel. And you asked, why do I think I didn't have that experience? Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I believe I didn't have it and also something that somebody once told me who has researched NDEs, near-death experiences, is that what they have found from their research is that people who die suddenly and unexpectedly seem to go through a tunnel. And so at the end of the tunnel, they see the light, but it's like they're leaving their body like a whoosh. And so it's more because either they're in an accident or they're in a car crash or something like that. But mine was different. Mine was a gradual, slow, painful death. It was very, very slow, it was a slow decline, a slow deterioration. And I didn't just go wham into death. It was like I went into a coma and then from the coma slowly into my soul going towards death, my body. sorry, yeah.
0: When you were in that state, if you will, and you say that God is a state of of mind, really, or heaven is... A state of being. State of being, sorry. God
1: is not a being, but a state of being.
0: Well, let me ask you about that. I'm going to go a little bit off my script here, though. I think... You know, when people start working with the notion that God is within and we have the power, and it's very important that people start tapping that power that they don't realize they have, yet it's also comforting for a lot of people to, you know, have that guy in the sky with the beard that you can rely on, like, oh, God, help me out with this. And it feels like a lot, I think, for a lot of people, wow, if I'm God, all the pressure is on me and I don't feel capable and I have all these flaws and I have all these problems. How How do people process and kind of rectify this to live their best lives?
1: Okay, so that this is a great question. And there's a lot there that I can say about this. One of them is that if we think of God as the guy in the sky, the guy with the white beard in the sky, what that does is that it then makes us victims of our circumstances. It means I don't have any authority over my life. I don't have the power over my life it's controlled by this guy in the sky. So I don't. It's, so it's not about me creating the life I want. It's about me appeasing that guy in the sky or appealing to that guy in the sky. And what this does is also, it creates a lot of judgment in that when we see someone struggling or suffering, it's like, oh, God must be punishing them or oh, they probably don't pray to God. So that belief also creates a huge amount of problems. I can also see that if you don't believe in anything or don't have anything to rely on or turn to, it can also make you feel scared and alone, like, oh, my gosh, how do right. I deal with this? Who do I call on? What? So what I learned, so I was one of those people that believed there was a being in the sky or on the other side, and that changed for me because... Prior to that, I would pray to this God and say, why am I not healing? What am I doing wrong? And I was continuing to deteriorate. I would be trying everything, but I was trying everything outside of me. It was like, what else do I need to do? And people would tell me that, oh, it's your karma. You need to do good, more good deeds. It means you haven't done enough good deeds. So I would be doing all this charity work. And how much more do I need to do for this to, to reverse this? Um, how much more do I need to pray? How much more do I need to serve or do? So when I died, I realized, oh my gosh, we have more authority over our lives than I ever realized ever. Nobody told me this. It's like, oh wow, I am more powerful than I thought. I even have some control over my own death. like here I was even being presented with a choice of whether to go back or not. And I believe some people who who die young at some level must have chosen it before they even came here. But, But anyway, so I will speak for myself though. It felt like, wow, it's not somebody governing over me, but the authority, the power that is mine, the thing is, it doesn't, it isn't just my, my physical body. And that's where it can get scary if you think that it is just Robert of this physical life or Anita of this physical life who was born here in this lifetime 60 years ago, you know, that I am the one in charge of this life. No, it's not that. It is Anita, the soul, the, the one who is part of source or part of God. To me, God is all of our consciousness together. And I'm going to use an analogy for this, which I like to use. It's Do you remember back in the 70s or 80s, 70s, the Saturday Night Fever times, those um, mirror balls in a disco, those disco balls? Mm -hmm. So if you imagine one of those disco balls with all those little mirrors on it, it's like a mosaic of mirrors. And what that mirror ball does is that it refracts light so you have all these points of light all on all the walls around the room. Now imagine if all these points of light are each of us physical beings. One of those points of light is Robert, one of those is Anita, one of those is my husband Dan, and so on. And if you think, if Robert thinks that I have to rely only on Robert, the point of light to control my world and my life and everything, then you're wrong. And if I think it's just me, this point of light, then I'm wrong. The thing is what I realized is this point of light that is Anita is refracted from a soul, which is Anita's soul, which is on that mirror ball connected to every other soul. So your soul, my soul, every soul is connected to each other. We're all connected. And all the lives we've ever lived is in, our, in, is in our one mirror tile. So one mirror tile, that is Robert's soul, contains every life that Robert has lived. Anita's mirror tile contains every life that Anita has ever lived. But her current life is the one she's living now is that little dot of light on the wall. But I have access when I turn inward and I go in for help and I seek help. To my soul, I have access to my soul who has access to information from every life I have lived and information from the entire mirror ball, which means the collective of every life, of every soul that exists. Do you see what I mean? That is God. That is God. So when I died, I realized I am that mirror tile, I am a facet of God. And you know, God is not some being. So I'm not begging somebody to make something happen to me. I am turning in, inward and going, okay, please give me what I need to know to take the next step in my life. That's how you turn inward and get information from the inside out.
0: hmm Perfect. A perfect analogy. I guess it's similar to you We're a drop in the individual drop in the ocean, but we're part of the whole ocean also. And we should never forget that. And so we go inside to tap everything that surround us. It's, it reminds and me we of have uh,
1: access to everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sorry.
0: My teacher, um, her name was Jeanette Meek, and she transitioned. She was a good friend of Paul Selig's and she transitioned uh, recently and we've kept her class going and everything's great. We know she's still with us. And she came to my wife, who's very empathic and said, Told her what happened. My wife said, "What? Hey, Jeanette, what what, what happened to you? What, what's going on now?" And she said, "It's it, I'm like a whole a burst of light, all different pieces of light everywhere. So I can be here and there all at the same time. So I can be with you. I can be with Robert. I can be with our class. I can be. I'm all part of all these little bits of light that it kind of exploded when I when I transitioned. So I'm everywhere. And I also I interviewed Karen No Noe. And yes, she, she works with she she uh, taps into Wayne Dyer and asked him, where are you now? And I believe he said that, you know, I'm Wayne Dyer as the Wayne Dyer. You knew me, but I'm also part of a collective that's much more than me. So I do my best to give you the Wayne Dyer that you remember. But I'm much more than that now because I'm part of all this other stuff. And I actually asked Wayne Dyer uh, to help me with do, doing the work I do. And I asked him, as you know, we had a couple of disconnects in setting this interview up. I asked him to help me. And here we are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, he must have had a hand in it. That's wonderful. And I apologize for any of the disconnects. No, 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 no. I was going through um, my, my uh, you know, my assistant was just helping me out because, yeah, she was, we were both getting overwhelmed with the level no, no, of no, work no, no. we were it's... doing. Yeah,
0: we're here. That's all. That's all yeah. that counts. And thank you. I only brought that up as an example of how these things, uh, these synchronicities can, can work. It's so wonderful. My special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Anita Borgiani. her big book, uh, Dying to Be With Me. But now she's got a book that's going to be huge. Also, it's called Sensitive is the New Strong, The Power of Empaths in an Increasingly Harsh World. We're going to get to that momentarily, but let's just get back to your story again, Anita. What happened then? You got back into your body. You made the decision to come back. So what happened?
1: Yes. So what happened, actually, so I was given the choice as to whether to come back or not. And, uh, and, I was, and I understood that now that I knew the truth, I understood why I had got sick. I understood that we are far more powerful than we have ever been led to believe. And, so, and I realized that if I chose to come back, my body would heal very quickly. So as soon as I made the decision to come back, I started to come out of the coma. But even then, like for the first day or two, I was like delirious. I was telling my family that, that um, I'm not going to die. It's not my time. Dad's here. And I was saying all this, I had one foot on each side. And the doctors were saying to my family, Oh, she's just delirious. And it's just the drugs messing with her. But she's still critical. Like they were basically telling my family, don't raise your hopes. She's, she is going to die. Cause really? I was saying, I'm not going to die. It's not my time. They were, they were not hopeful, but they saw by the second or third day I was actually getting stronger. I was getting more coherent and I was telling them, you can take the food tube out. You can take the oxygen tube off. I don't need these tubes. I'm, I'm going to live. I can breathe on my own. I can eat without the nutrition tube. And they were very skeptical. Um, but they started to test my breathing without the oxygen tube and they could see I was breathing. They were very hesitant to take out the nutrition tube, but I actually said, no, uh, my appetite is back. Um, I'll prove it to you. And and so I asked for a chocolate ice cream as the first thing I wanted to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in four days, they started to notice that the tumors were shrinking. Like they had shrunk by about 60%, which, shocked them I think it was by the fifth the day and that blew them away they, they couldn't understand it and I wanted to sit up and I was like talking in three and a half weeks later they were having trouble finding any trace of cancer in my body and they were not giving up they said this doesn't happen cancer doesn't disappear like that uh, at the end of five weeks they released me from the hospital to go home and live my life cancer amazing
0: amazing wow When you came, since that experience, do you believe that people have the power to heal themselves now?
1: I do, but they need to tap in to something that is greater than themselves. It is still a part. It is still through themselves, but it is greater than themselves. I do feel that we are all... Connected, and I know that you have had that experience once mm. or twice. Yes, um, we are all connected. I also believe, though, that um, there's a, there's a few elements here. We have to want to heal. We have to have an incentive to heal. So, for example, if somebody has an absolutely crappy life, like a really bad life, bad financial situation bad relationship, no incentive to continue to live, and then they get sick. If they get well and and all they have waiting for them is that crappy life, there's going to be less of an incentive for them to get well. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to call on that to help you, not just to heal, but to heal what it is that caused your you to be ill in the first place. Because your illness in many cases is your body's wake-up either it's your body's way of giving you a wake-up call, or it's your body's way of giving you a way out of life, because life is so bad for you right now.
0: Mm-hmm. So d- do you ever have any communication with either your dad, Dr. Dyer, or people who have transitioned?
1: Yes, all the time. I believe they're trying to communicate with me all the time, them and others. I speak to the other side or my higher and my soul, every, like my my higher self every day. I don't make any decisions without going inward.
0: People are always talking about manifesting. It's on the tip of everybody's tongue. It has been for the last 15 years or so. And I believe people make a mistake in, in that they, they're reaching out and they're, they're doing a lot of the protocols that you're supposed to do, but they, uh, they don't focus on bl- unblocking themselves from receiving and what you call uh, allowing. I think it's critically important. I don't know how I came, that came over me, but uh, I'll give you an example, though. I was single for a really long time. I was having a blast in New York as a single guy, but at a certain point, I realized I need to do something better because I really want to settle down. And then I had an epiphany and said, make room in your heart for somebody else. And as soon as I did that, I told my mother at Thanksgiving, I said, I'm going to get married. She says, really? Because nobody even asked me anymore. And I said, yeah. She said, who? Who? And I said, I don't know, but next year I'll let you know. And sure enough, I let her know next year on Thanksgiving. And I've been married for uh, 11 years. And it was all because I realized that you, you have to make room. You have to allow yourself. You have to be open to receiving to receive. Could you elaborate on that? I, I guess I'm right, but that's because it was my experience. But what, what are your thoughts on allowing versus just wanting
1: You are absolutely right. You have to make room for it to come in. So it's not about chasing and going after things. It's about allowing what is truly yours to come in. And so what you do is, I always tell people, don't work on going after what you want. Work on yourself being in the position of receiving and being worthy and deserving of what is to come into your life. And so many people, um, especially those in this genre of work that you do, that I do, where we are into spiritual teachings and, and things like that, we always give and give and give of ourselves, but we're terrible at receiving. When you're not good at receiving, you don't notice it, but you start to become drained and you, you and, and you find it hard to attract the things that you want in your life. And what you don't realize, it's because your receiving channels are closed So I tell people, get into practice to allow yourself, to allow gifts to come into your life and just be grateful for them. Don't feel guilty and obligated and all these things that people feel. Just say, this is the way the universe is is gifting me. But here's the other key. This is the most important piece though, is that um, one of the things I learned in my near-death experience that is so important is self-love. I call it self-love, but it's not a shallow kind of love. It is something really deep. It is an awareness that I am more than my physical body. My physical body is just the tip of the iceberg, but I am actually far beyond my physical body. It's like there's so much more to me that has always lived, always will, and has lived many other lifetimes. And so I need to love me and I need to love all of me and I need to know that I am worthy and deserving of feeling joy and having a partner or whatever it is. Now, if you don't feel worthy or deserving or you don't love yourself and you're not good at receiving and you always put yourself last and you're always there for everyone but not for yourself, then you can do all the manifesting programs you want and the law of attraction programs and the and the vision boards you want, and you'll be wondering, why am I not getting what I want, what I'm putting out there? Right. That's because you don't feel you are worthy and deserving and you don't love yourself. The minute you start loving yourself, valuing yourself, feeling worthy and deserving, when you do that and you open yourself up to receiving, you don't even have to do all the law of attraction programs and manifestation programs you just will be someone of an who will receive what is truly yours
0: that's so fantastic because we we live in a culture where it's like i do this i get that i do this i get that i do this i get that but then what happens when you don't get it people get very frustrated and they realize that they think they have to work a lot harder than they do. Now, there's nothing wrong with hard work and putting in the work, but you want to make it some type of joyful experience. But you have to be in a position to allow things to come to you. And I think that's where some people get uh, stuck. But let's let's move to sensitive as a new strong because I want to have time to discuss that. And it's a wonderful book, The Power of Empaths in an Increasingly Harsh World. Now, you, you, you are an empath, but I think you rediscovered re- that you are an empath after your NDE. Is that correct?
1: Yes, I did. I had no idea what, I had not even heard of the word empath when I wrote my first book, Dying to Be Me. When I had the disease, when, when I had the ND, when I wrote the book, even when I met Wayne Dyer, he discovered my story. That whole part of my journey, I didn't even know I was an empath. I didn't even know it was a thing. So then I was uh, like put into the limelight by Wayne Dyer I was there speaking on stage all over the world. Um, I was on social media, posting and doing my thing and writing my book and wrote my second book. Uh, Wayne Dyer passed away. And then I started to burn out. I started to burn out. And what I started to notice. And so even though there I was connecting with um, spirit all the time. I started to feel really tired. It was like I wanted to put a pause on everything that was happening and I couldn't tell why am I so tired. And I noticed, for example, that I was starting to uh, close down a little bit. Like I would be affected by critics if people were debunking me or criticizing me or social media would feel too overwhelming. And I felt, I can't do this forever. I can't just keep doing this. And so then... I was guided and it's always, I know it's always spirit guiding me where I was at a ceremony with a shaman uh, and the shaman took me aside and actually said to me that I was different. And he he said something like, you have a purpose here, but uh, you're not using it to the best of your ability. And, but to cut a long story short, somebody said to me, you're an empath. And when I heard that word I thought huh and this was maybe in 2016 somewhere there and so I looked it up and I read the descriptions and I I read some literature on it and I was like wow that is me that is really me and it actually helped me like a lot and and so when I started talking about it people would say hey but when you say you're an empath you're labeling yourself you say it's not good to use labels but here's the thing to me, a label is something that boxes you in and limits you. But when I discovered I was an empath, it helped me. It actually liberated me. It freed me. So if it liberates you, then it's not a label. It's a description. So I realized that as an empath, what it did was it made me understand that, that not everybody thinks the way I do. That's the first thing that was like, oh... Not everybody feels emotions the way I do. Not everybody feels the pain of the world the way I do. That's when it hit me that when I got sick the first time, not everybody would have got sick that way. It was because I'm an empath and I absorb like my dad's instilling fear in me. I was more sensitive to it than maybe another person would have been. Mm -hmm. And and so that gave me a whole different perspective, which started my journey on this book.
0: Let's start with that. Uh, empaths really are very highly sensitive people, and they pick up the feelings of what's going on in other people around them. Do you think that more and more empaths are emerging, if you will, today for two reasons? One is that that sixth sense that you mentioned has is kind of opening up a bit, so people are tapping into their intuition and other things, and so there, there's more empaths and and empaths. And kind of the second part of the question would be, do you think there's more females coming out as empaths now versus guys because there's a shift to, the, because of the gender roles that have been set, that it's, it's not welcome for guys to be as sensitive historically, but as our world and culture shifts back to a more matriarchal system that more and more guys will be becoming identified, self-identified as empaths. I know I threw a lot at you. but
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I am hoping more guys will come out and say that they are empaths. That's what the world really needs for more guys to embrace sensitivity. So a couple of things. I want to just say the difference between being highly sensitive and being an empath is that someone can be highly sensitive, which means they can be highly intuitive and highly aware of what everyone is thinking and feeling. But an empath is not only highly sensitive and intuitive and know what other people are feeling, but they absorb it in their own body. So an empath is like a sponge where they feel the feelings of other people and they often can't differentiate or separate their feelings from other people's feelings. And so what was interesting, even at the time that I got sick and I got cancer, my best friend who I grew up with, who was like a sister to me, she had been di- just been diagnosed with cancer. And when she got the news, it kind of hit me as if it was me. And had I known then that I'm an empath, I would have done everything to kind of um, to be aware that, okay, this is her stuff, not mine. But the thing about empaths is that you confuse other people's stuff as being your own, and you take it on as if it's your own. Now that I know this, I know not to do that. And so that's really, you know, where my book helps people. But so that's what an empath is. So I think the reason why it seems like there's more people that are empaths, a couple of reasons, more people are opening up to that. And the reason is, because in the past, we have always felt empathy, sensitivity, all these things are weaknesses, we've always said to people, grow a thicker skin, stop being so sensitive. We make people feel wrong for it, especially boys. We tell them boys don't cry, man up. And so people who are empaths, they suppress it. And the sad thing is even when a woman wants to succeed in a male dominated corporation, she feels she needs to be more like a man, which is sad because the world is really, really lacking in feminine energy. And when and it's lacking in compassion and empathy. And so I wrote this book from a place of seeing that and seeing how hard it is because here I was now in the public eye. And as I said earlier, I was struggling. So I wrote that book from a place of wanting to help other empaths who are trying to make a difference in the world, who are trying to make this world a better place for sensitive people but are struggling because the loudest voices among us are the harshest non-empathic voices. And it makes it really hard. True. And so, yeah. And so as, as long as we allow, as long as empaths continue to stay silence, our world will always be dominated and leadership roles will always be held by the more aggressive and less empathic people among us. I That's think you're and, spot and, on. Yeah. And I think that if this is if we continue this way, we will be on the brink of our own extinction unless mm-hmm. empaths start to step up, get out in the limelight, and take on more leadership roles. And I realized I couldn't do this alone. So this book, in a way, is a call to other empaths: mm-hmm. like, hey, let's do this together. I'll give you the tools. we all need to do this Mm because i can't do this alone
0: well it's a great book and if anybody out there has a question uh, asking themselves am i an empath anita puts together a list of 20 or 30 questions you can ask yourself and kind of put yourself on a scale of how empathic you might be or might be headed so it's really helpful it's a fantastic book here's a little bit of a conundrum Um, we want people to be open open to receiving, open to allowing, yet we also have to be careful, I guess, uh, to ground ourselves and to protect ourselves because if you just say, hey, welcome, you might be bringing in some uh, lower ent- entities, lower energies, if you will. How, did, how do we deal with that, Anita?
1: So here's what I tell people is that um, particularly if you are an empath or you're a highly sensitive person, you need to have one foot on each side. So what I've noticed, for example, Um, highly sensitive people tend to, and empaths and highly sensitive people, we tend to either be fully in in the, so I call it a six sensory world. So we are basically six sensory beings trying to squeeze into a five sensory world. And here's where many of us struggle is that many empaths and highly sensitive people Throw themselves completely into a sixth sensory world to escape from the five sensory world, so they become completely celestial, where they yeah. cut themselves off from the real world. They struggle. They can't make money. They can't put food on the table. They can't pay their rents. They're terrible at administrative work. You know, so so they 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 think, oh, mañana, yeah, no, that'll be taken care of, because they are so in the celestial world. And many of them also struggle with their health because of that. They don't watch what they eat, whatever they're like. So they're kind of out there. Then you have the other bunch of empaths, the other extreme, who, because they're sensitive, but because they're so entrenched in this five sensory world, are feeling victimized by it. And they're the ones who have become the doormats, the bullied, the downtrodden, um, the ones that are full of fear. And, And so... They're like um, struggling in this five sensory world because they've forgotten that they have this connection with the other side and they're just fighting against this five sensory world. So we've got these two worlds, so to speak. What I tell empaths is be aware that your gift as an empath or as a highly sensitive person is that you are able to straddle both worlds. Most other people who are not highly sensitive, highly intuitive or empaths, they live in the five sensory world. Um, But if you don't like the world that's been created and you want to bring about change, it's not about fighting what they've created. But it is about learning the skill of straddling both worlds, which is, you know, uh, what what I have been trying to do since I've had my near-death experience, it really is about knowing I am connected there. My information comes from there, not from here, not from mainstream news, not from people out here. My connection, my information, my guidance comes from there. But I am here now and I have to live here now and I have to make a good life for myself and leave the world a better place than when Mm -hmm. I came here. That is why I am here, I am, I have come here to do that, um, and so basically that's kind of what I tell people, we have to straddle both worlds.
0: As, as people kind of uh, raise their frequency, how, how can a lot of people, uh, you know, they ask a question to spirit or their higher self and they, they get some information and initially it seems like they, they think they're talking to themselves or there's that kind of self monkey chatter going on and then they get discouraged. I have found that I just started writing down the answer and then I started accepting. And I always found when I wrote down the answer was different than what I heard and I followed what I had written down and I feel, feel it's very important to write it down, write it down, write it down. But I, I also now am more comfortable with, you know what? My higher self or whatever is talking my language because that's what I'm familiar with. So I take it as, unless I'm, it's disproven, I'm taking it as that is spirit communicating with me. And it's made it a lot easier. And it's made the channel feel a lot more open.
1: Yes, yes, you're doing it exactly right. Take it as, as spirit talking to you. And and the thing is, no one thing spirit will never, ever, ever give you fearful messages that make you feel fear, it will not make you so even if you are in a situation that is where you need to be careful of something fearful about to happen. The message you'll get won't be like, oh, you're going to die. No, it'll be more like, (laughs) it'll be more like um, stop right now, like, you know, or move out of the way. And then you'll move out of the way and something will happen and you'll be like, oh my God, it just saved my life. You know, so spirit's message will always be, towards protecting you guiding you and guiding you towards life and towards health always so when you get what you call uh, what you just eloquently called the monkey mind chatter when you get that when you get the fear based messages the doubtful messages that is not spirit the message that says you're not good enough who do you think you are don't be stupid that's dumb that is not spirit spirit messages higher self messages source messages are always always very um uplifting inspiring they give you strength they make you they give you goosebumps you're like ooh i can do this oh wow that's clear that it makes you feel good powerful it enriches you it expands your energy always
0: now that's so great to hear because i've been uh, asking Spirit, as I meditate daily now, what do do I need to know right now? And uh, I keep getting all these uplifting messages. And I'm like, am I just talking to myself? And the the other day, Spirit said through me, just ask for whatever you want. Tell us exactly, say, articulate exactly what you want. Just do that. And uh, so I did. And I know that it's not about getting exactly what you want, how you describe it. It's about being put yourself in a position to be open to receiving what's best for you best based on what you have requested.
1: Yeah. In fact, when you request exactly what you want, what it does is that it's about it's not about saying, hey, I want this and I want this exactly this way. Right. It's because what it does energetically is it brings you clarity, so it clarifies in your mind so that you become aligned to exactly what it is you want and mm-hmm. it becomes easier for whatever it is to present itself it's, it becomes easier for you to allow that in when you have that clarity which is why you're being asked to describe exactly what you want
0: fantastic i love this conversation i'm so thrilled and honored at you being on the show it just the time has passed so quickly And I hope for your next book, we can do it again. But the book is Sensitive is the New Strong by Anita Morjani, The Power of Empaths in an Increasingly Harsh World. Last question, uh, or two, if you will. One is, what is the best tip people can uh, take with them on their day-to-day lives as to how to tap into a higher power and live their best lives? And also then tell us where we can find more about you and your book.
1: Okay, so the best way you can tap in is to... Um, is to turn off all outside noise your inner voice your higher self needs the space the room to be able to communicate with you if you're getting all your information from mainstream media social media other so-called experts gurus blah 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 then there's no room in your space in your mind space for your inner self for your for your for source to communicate with you So you have to create that space by shutting out all the external noise. And then the second thing, how to find out more about me, (laughs) Um, my website is anitamurjani.com. And I am on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. And I also have a a membership platform. uh, But for the time being, we have paused on taking on new memberships, but we're opening up again in July.
0: Fantastic. Well, you do great work. And I have to say, I've interviewed a lot of people, a lot of spiritual messengers and teachers, and you nobody surpasses you. I really felt super comfortable. I learned a lot. I'm the interviewer that learns while he's interviewing. So just so you know, and uh, <laughs> because I'm advocating for my audience, I want I want everybody to be we're all getting it at the same time. And uh, you are just amazing. Uh, truly, you are amazing. So thank you so much, Anita all Morjani, right. for being my guest as I- radio.
1: Oh, wow. Thank you. I'm actually getting emotional as you say that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I hope it's joy because that's what I'm feeling right now. So thank you.
1: It is. It is. Thank you. And, and I'm feeling moved. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's Guys Guy Radio.
0: Okay, what a wonderful conversation with Anita Morjani. As you can tell we were really in sync and it was a wonderful very illuminating conversation i felt like we were in this energetic bubble together she's a very high frequency individual she's the real thing she's authentic she's a true spiritual messenger and she's got a lot of words of wisdom and she's really helping humanity so i was so honored to have her on guys guys radio her book dying to be me is certainly worth uh, picking up because I thought it was, okay, near-death experience, I understand what that's all about. People died and they come back, but it's there's so much more in this book, and I really learned a lot. Her new book also has a lot also. Sensitive is a new strong about uh, some of the challenges that empaths have, and as, as we discussed, uh, there's a lot of people out there now who are starting to emerge uh, using their empathic abilities, and so this is a great book for them and really for anybody else. So what did we learn today? Well, one thing is the concept of God being a state of being instead of being kind of a thing or something that's out there and separate from us. And it's all the more important that we learn to look inside, tap into our portion of divinity that's within us, as well as our connection to everything else, and work that way instead of looking outside for the answers and trying to bring it in. So it's working inside out instead of outside in. I think the other thing we learned, and I know I learned today, is something uh very significant i had kind of only in recent times realized that you know people and myself included sometimes the reason we don't manifest things i put that in quotes is that we we don't put ourselves in a position to receive we don't know how to receive and i think i've learned how to do that but what i learned today from anita and from her books is that it's more about allowing than just receiving because when you receive you're you're using thought and thinking can get in the way of your uh, working with spiritual and universal en- energy, the brain and the, trying to break things down and being logical can get in the way. And uh, Think of it this way. Taking a shower is allowing. Receiving is getting a piece of mail. So you get a piece of mail, you open it up, you think about it, what is this? It's a bill or a gift certificate or whatever it is. And then you take a shower and just things just flow. The water flows over you, through you, whatever. But It's a different concept. There's similarities but they're distinctly different. So that's what I got out of it. And I hope you folks got a lot of stuff out of our conversation today because it was a really good one. And I've done a lot of shows. I've interviewed well over 500 people. And this was one of my best interviews, I think. I'm not patting myself on the back, just from a factor of really learning a lot and really being engaged and really feeling a connection with uh, my guest, Anita, she was wonderful. I, have so, I hold her in such high regard, and I hope you do also. Okay, Guys, Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. The podcast drops every Thursday, as well as my YouTube, and the, the radio show, KCAA, we rebroadcast on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific time. So there's plenty of opportunities to catch the show, whether it's video or audio, and I hope you'll join me uh my website is robertmanny.com, M-A-N-N-I.com. We've got over 300 blog posts. I just posted a new one. It's part two of uh, lessons and practices I developed during the lockdown. So there's 10 different practices that have uh, uh, kind of emerged during the lockdown. It's all about chaos, creating opportunities and looking to find the positive no matter how dire the circumstances may be. And I know we're all happy to be coming out of the lockdown, but there are some lessons. If we look back, you ask yourself, hey, what did I get out of this? Is there anything that I learned? The website also has uh, over 300 blog posts, as I mentioned, and you can download three free chapters of my novel, which is a source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. It's about two dudes in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City. There's friendship, there's sex, there's redemption, There's backstabbing, there's treasonous activities, and uh, it's a fun, frothy read, and it's been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City. I hope you'll check it out, and you can see all the reviews on Amazon. So that's our show for today. So thrilled to have Anita here, and we've got a great show next week, and I've got a bunch of special guests lined up, and I thank you so much for sticking with me as we grow the show, and we grow, and we grow, and we grow, and we bring you all the best content and information that we can and hopefully you'll be able to pull some of that information out from our guests and use them in your life so guys guys radio your host robert manny i thank you again i'm going to see you next week and as i always like to say guys guys finish first